0: Hi, everyone. I'm Ian Wright. Make sure you check out my podcast, Writers House, every Wednesday on Ringer FC. Each week, I'm joined by a rotating panel of guests to talk about football, life, films, everything. Search for Ringer FC on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Take it easy. This episode is brought to you by Peacock, presenting critically acclaimed originals for your Emmy consideration. Stream limited series, Apples Never Fall, starring Annette Bening and Sam Neill, and the tattooist of Auschwitz, based on the best-selling novel. Plus, TV movie Mr. Monk's Last Case and the semi-animated In the Know from Mike Judge and Zach Woods. Finally, head to the Highlands with Alan Cumming in the hit competition series The Traitors. Peacock is your consideration destination this Emmy season. From Academy Award winner Steven Zalian. This is what I do for a living. Top critics agree Netflix's Ripley is masterful, sumptuous, and suspenseful.
1: He's a liar. It's his profession.
0: I have no idea what you're talking about. Ripley is the finest thing TV has offered in many years. The Guardian gives it five stars and raves Andrew Scott is absolutely spellbinding. For your Emmy consideration in all categories, including outstanding limited series, Ripley. I like the name. Hello, today is Thursday, April 14th, and we got a good show today about one of my favorite topics, the Murdoch's, the Murdoch family. If you've ever watched Succession, you kind of know who the Murdoch's are, and if you are in the media world, you absolutely know who they are. They own Fox News, the Fox Network. They own the New York Post, the Wall Street Journal. They own tons of media outlets around the world, and they are a fascinating subject, um, probably the most powerful Media family in the world. So there's a great new show on CNN Plus called Murdoch's Empire of Influence. I'm actually in it a little bit, but one of the big talking heads and the consulting producer on the show is Jim Rutenberg, who is a writer at large at the New York Times and wrote a great feature story for the New York Times a few years ago about the Murdoch family. It was sort of the definitive piece on everything that they have done from the early days of the tabloids in the UK all the way up to the 2020 election and what happened with Fox News on January 6th. So we've got Jim on today to talk about Rupert Murdoch, the Murdoch family, with a couple succession questions. And we're gonna get right into it. I'm Matt Bellamy and this is the town. All right, we are here with Jim Rutenberg, writer at large for the New York Times and a consulting producer on Murdoch's Empire of Influence, which is excellent. I watched it all in the past couple days. Jim, Joe Biden recently said rupert murdoch is the quote most dangerous man in the world that comes from a new book from some of your times colleagues he said it in private but he did apparently say it do you agree is rupert murdoch the most dangerous man in the world i guess
2: because uh as a straight news reporter i could never quite i would never quite think of it that way um i would think about what he
0: owns he owns fox news he owns the post he owns, you know, the Wall Street Journal. These are outlets that have been in direct opposition to Biden and Democrats in general. And more so than you would think of the so-called liberal press. You know, they are much more aggressive in the line of what Murdoch has done throughout his career.
2: Right. I would say, well, so the way I would put it, and um, is, is basically that he is the most single most influential person in media, in politics. In at least the English-speaking world, if not beyond, and he has a different approach to journalism than the rest of us. Quite avowedly so. he's sort of labeled the rest of us as just lefty liberals, which you know we would obviously in our newsroom very much disagree with. And he does he's willing to do things on television that have never been done before, which are increasingly untethered from the basics of journalism. In ways that I think is inarguable, uh, challenged the electoral process in 2020, for instance, um, in, in ways that weren't based on facts, right? Raising the notion that maybe there was, a, that there was an incredible amount of fraud when we know there wasn't. Reporting and correcting, in Tucker Carlson's case, dead people were voting. And then we say, well, okay, we found some of these dead people were alive. Things that we had never seen in our uh, lifetimes in, on, on the major television network. That did affect, had an effect on our democracy. So, uh, you know, I, I that's that's inarguable.
0: Oh, you—I mean, you guys draw a direct line from Fox News to the January 6th insurrection, while acknowledging that you know social media and other aspects were right. big there. But you know, Fox News was a cheerleader of these baseless, baseless election claims, and then all of a sudden, they were excusing the behavior of those those uh, insurrectionists. That's
2: been since. And you know what Fox will say, and, and we do nod at this, is they had no longer have anchors like Chris Wallace. Mm-hmm. They still have Brett Baer, who did do fact-based reporting, but and have they have their audiences. But when you have Tucker Carlson with four million people at the time of the election, uh, going after the results and questioning the results based on specious and uh, sometimes outright false notions. That is really going to influence millions of people. I mean, if you go back and watch what Tucker Carlson was saying night after night, with a couple of exceptions, uh, it really, if you believed what he was saying, how could you not see this as anything but a tragedy for the nation? But it was didn't stand up to scrutiny, the things he was talking about. The,
0: the Rupert relationship with Donald Trump is fascinating because obviously he didn't want him to run and tweeted some negative things about him in the beginning, then got on board when he realized he was good for ratings and his viewers liked him. And they had a very um, symbiotic relationship during the Trump administration. But one thing that's interesting about the documentary is it shows, it suggests, I don't want to say it says, but it suggests that the call on Arizona in 2020, that that was a very deliberate move by Murdoch, or at least he was unwilling to revisit that call when Trump and everybody he knows was saying, please rescind it, rescind it, rescind it. Rupert never did that. Do you think that was ultimately a kind of poke in the eye to a guy that he saw losing? Or do you think that was just Rupert standing up for the integrity of his news organization?
2: I think it was a little bit of both. Okay. Because the Fox news decision desk does have a history of calling the races straight.
0: I don't know if you'll remember this, but, sure. but in then the guy, that, the guy that did that ended up leaving the company, the, the well, head of yes. their, their election desk ended up leaving the company.
2: Yeah. So I think what happened here is in the tradition of, call, they always want to be first in calling races. All television mm-hmm. networks did. They went super early. And I do think, and we report this, and um, we have some, another reporter, Lachlan Cartwright, talks about this a bit in the documentary because he had some direct reporting on this, that after that, uh, the Trump forces and the Trump, the Trump family was furious, wanted it reversed. That wasn't going to happen. But in the weeks that followed, Fox paid a price because there were other networks like Newsmax and OAN that now were flanking them from the right. And they were trying to appeal to those angry Trump voters who thought that that call, the call was for the state of Arizona. Uh, it was early. It wasn't the definitive call, but it sent the message that Trump was not winning this race early in the night, which Trump was counting on being able to keep that an open question. Um, they were in trouble with their own viewers. And in fact, uh, they saw a bit of a dip in their ratings. I don't want to overstate it, but they did see a bit of a dip in their ratings immediately after that call as you know they we saw people chanting at Trump rallies fox news sucks that's unheard of
0: so i want to talk a little bit about the murdochs today because you know they have sold off most of the assets of the company 21st century fox to disney they kept fox news they kept the broadcasting network they kept fox sports and they have the papers and then they have assets all over the world what is Rupert up to today? I've heard some rumblings that he has been stepping back a little bit, that the signs of his age have finally started to show. Is that accurate according to people you talk to? I've heard the same chatter. I just
2: want to say, I just as a caveat, I've heard that chatter a lot over the last few years when he kind of got from his mid-80s to now. And sometimes he does pull back. Right. When he started uh, when he was just getting together with his new wife, Jerry Hall, he had sort of pulled back a little bit. Um, He has time and time again uh, roared back into into the newsroom when everyone thinks he's pulling back because he sees a need. And, you know, I think I'd heard he was a bit more involved earlier in the immediate post Trump era. So he flits in and out. His idea is to give this to his son, Lachlan. Um, so, but I'll also note that his own mother lived to, uh, over a hundred years old and was pretty with it. So, and, and by Rupert's standards,
0: and he's got this new TV station in the UK that I think he's been involved in. Yeah. He's launching this new sort of
2: more opinionated, um, media property. Right. Uh, I think that the, the betting is, is open on whether that's going to really work out the UK uh, in terms of anything other than newspapers has struggled with more ideologically focused media.
0: There's no Fox News of the UK, and I think they are terrified of that. You can, you kind of can, you cannot have Fox News in the UK
2: under its media regulations, mm-hmm. and in fact, Fox News programming has at various times been sort of shut down uh, because of its regulations.
0: All right, you mentioned Lachlan. Lachlan is now the CEO of 21st Century Fox, or no? It's just called the Fox Corporation now. Um, and you know, in in terms of, for people who watch Succession, in terms of of that show, Lachlan is the Roman uh, of that show. James was sort of the uh, the Kendall, uh, for lack of a better word, and then uh, Shiv is um, is Elizabeth. Elizabeth, and uh, the older sibling is Prudence. So, yes. Lachlan has basically not basically. Lachlan has emerged as the successor. He is running the company. James has left the company. James has gone full scorched earth, um, much like Kendall. Kendall Roy. He has now come out against his former company and his family. Um, he, uh, Lachlan, has left Los Angeles for Australia. Why? Why did Lachlan leave? America and go back to Australia when he's the CEO of this company. I I wondered that because I met with him a couple of times when he was in L.A. Seemed pretty happy. Well, there's one thing about Lachlan, and it kind of explains
2: why he um, was the successor. What Lachlan shares with his father is a love for Australia. Lachlan very much identifies with Australia. James does not. James is more of a London kind of guy and uh, Davos, as we wrote. Uh, but so Lachlan's heart has always been in Australia. He's more comfortable there. Uh, he became who he is when he left. He left the business, as we show in this documentary. At one point, when a big with a bit in a big fight with his father over Roger Ailes and his father's sort of preferences for Roger Ailes. Very personal, not political, that fight. And Lachlan went to Australia to lick his wounds and build himself up. So that's always where he's comfortable. Um we I don't know if LA kind of suits him so much in terms of the some of the politics that are and the COVID in He school. was supposedly
0: upset about the COVID
2: shutdowns. Yeah, because Lachlan is really, from all the reporting that we've been able to do, including in Australia, Lachlan is the most conservative Murdoch, even more so than his father, and very much in line with the programming of Fox News. Uh, so. None of that is really surprising once you understand that.
0: Well that's interesting you say that because he gave a speech a couple of weeks ago in Sydney that that surprised me a bit just because I've met with him and when he was in LA he wouldn't talk about the politics stuff he would always talk about the financials the success. We have the number one cable news network in Fox News at the time we have the you know we have the number one broadcast network in Fox Broadcasting. We have the number one sports operation in fox sports that's what he would talk about but then i see this sydney speech and he's talking about the liberal elites and the 1619 project and the covid mandates being responsible for so much uh so many problems in the world and it was really right out of the fox news playbook do you think do you think lachlan has gotten more conservative or do you think this was always him it was always him
2: but when i did i did a bunch of reporting in australia for the magazine piece that this documentary is based on. And what I was hearing there and what I was surprised to hear there was was how conservative Lachlan was on these kind of more hot button culture war issues that he didn't talk about because I think the world conferred on Lachlan a, a liberalism that wasn't there because he has tattoos, he's an outdoorsman, he cares about ecology, he cares about the environment to the extent of clean water, Pristine mountains to climb. He's a big rock climber. And I think, and he didn't really advertise his conservatism. And, but some people who were actual fans of Lachlan in Australia resented that part of him because they felt, we know Lachlan's a conservative as fellow conservatives. We wish he would wear it on his sleeve more because we're doing it, you know, and he has his own people to do it. uh So this was always in him. And the fact that he's stepping out now, though, represents a shift. And, and maybe that's because he's, Part of fox news and he does need to fly the flag but it's been there it's been lurking for years
0: um and that gets to the question of what happens when rupert eventually dies because you know he is in his 90s he says he's going to live forever but of course as we saw with sumner redstone uh, that doesn't happen um you you know you go into in the documentary the structure that is set up where when rupert is no longer around the company will pass to the children equally, and there was a discussion of them selling their shares to Lachlan and him being the sole proprietor of the company, but that ultimately never happened. Um, what do you think is going to happen when this company is is descended to the kids? Well, there, there are
2: basically, I think, two ways that that's going to go. And, and that will, we say this in the documentary, but I actually believed it, Given the influence we've talked about that the company has, that could really determine, partly at least, the future of sort of Western politics and democracy. It's it's a big deal what's going to happen here. Now, there had been some talk that James, and we saw this sort of at the end of the documentary, there's evidence for this, that James, Elizabeth, and Prudence, Prue, who's much less involved in fighting it out with the other siblings and much less interested in the business from what we can tell. Um, that they in selling to Lachlan, what the message or trying to sell all of their shares to Lachlan, which Rupert supported. The message was sort of, "Then this is yours. We want to wash our hands of it." Now, that did not happen. Uh, we got mixed reports that Lachlan wasn't sure he wanted to shoulder it himself. It also would have been a lot of cash. Um, how
0: much are we? How much are we talking about? We're talking because each each sibling is getting about two billion dollars. Is that correct?
2: That is correct. At least as of that time. So in those dollars from a couple of years ago, but yeah, roughly. So that's a lot of, that's a lot of many billions of dollars that Lachlan would need. So that is one good reason that he couldn't do this. That said, so should, uh, when Rupert passes, should Prue, Elizabeth, and James still feel like this is a product they want nothing to do with? Do they now say to Lachlan, buy us out? Or do they Form the three of them a new triumvirate and vote Lachlan out, or vote Lachlan was oh, out of power. That
0: that is that is what would happen on Succession.
2: That's what would happen, and then does James <laughs> take over? James is uh, kind of center. He's still slightly conservative. He's center right. He wants to. He wanted to change Fox, as we were, we report in this documentary. He didn't want to make it a classic network. He thought there was a place for a good conservative network, but he wanted to pull it back a bit from from what he saw was certainly the edge um does elizabeth take over she's much more like rupert a little more pragmatic a little a little hard she's kind of the hardest to pin down politically so that could be this that's the thing with the murdochs the story never
0: ends <laughs> i know and you know and i don't think it will end at all when rupert is gone because i think there's an element of stability because the buck always stops with him now And when it doesn't, you know, and he's had some near death experiences. He had that fall on the boat a few years ago that the company kept under wraps and ultimately had to admit that he had an emergency surgery and he's had some health scares and it, when it finally happens, I think it's going to be chaos. And whoever owns Fox news will wield incredible power in this country. Absolutely. And the one thing I want to say too, is that they've
2: all, the three, the children have had their successes and their failures. None of them, but who is, is at the level of Rupert Murdoch. I mean, Rupert Murdoch, we say it, it's cliche, but it's true. He is one of a kind. Uh, he has this incredible vision, this savvy. I mean, he's, he's you know, and, he, and by the way, you see this in this documentary. It's not all about January 6th. We show this singular force building this incredible business based on really instincts and gut.
0: Yeah, that's the, the, the early episodes are fascinating. Just him building the empire and that, you know, his effort to block the unions in the UK and he, you know, created a shadow quasi fake newspaper to, you know, direct people's attentions away from the fact that he was about to fire all the people at the union based newspaper. So it was amazing. The, the kind of stuff that he did, um, sinister, yeah. sinister in some ways, but also evil genius. Yeah, it's really, you can't,
2: you can't take away from him what he built though many people would like to. (laughs)
0: Right. All right. Jim Rutenberg is a writer at large at the New York Times, and he's the consulting producer and a talking head through most of the Murdoch show on CNN Plus called Murdoch's Empire of Influence. Check it out. And uh, we appreciate you coming on. Thanks so much for having me and for appearing in the doc. No problem. All right, we are back with the call sheet. Today we're looking at the weekend. We're looking at Fantastic Beasts. We're looking at the Secrets of Dumbledore. Craig, are you a uh, are you a Harry Potter guy? People don't love this, but I have
1: not only have I never seen a Harry Potter, I have never read the books. Oh wow, that's uh, that's yeah. rare.
0: I have read one book, and I have seen maybe two or three movies, and not for me. Not uh, and my my kid is young enough where he hasn't really gotten into it. Um, we are actually going to Universal Studios this weekend. And I was asking him about it because they have all the Harry Potter rides, and I have been on those. Yeah, they're okay, but uh, he's not interested. He's he's more in the like Minions, like Secret Life of Pets area. But uh, this weekend we got a Fantastic Beasts movie. Also, the Fantastic Beasts movies are—it's almost like th- this franchise is sort of chugging along on its last. You know, the the the, the gas tank is at E. And they are just trying to coast into these final movies because the horse is
1: dead and they're beating it. Yeah. I
0: mean, and like they've had so much controversy. J.K. Rowling basically got canceled. Johnny Depp was fired after the second movie because of all the Amber Heard stuff. And now we have Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore. The tracking on this is, you know, it has the official tracking hasn't come out, but the last one grossed 62 million in its opening weekend i think we are going to be way below that i think the tracking will come in around 50 and i don't think this movie gets to 50 million this weekend so i'm going to take the under on fantastic beasts and we will see how that does on monday but um but yeah this this is a dying franchise in my opinion
1: do you think i this apologies for my harry potter ignorance is this the last are they making another fantastic piece after this or is this the last one
0: they they have not announced whether they are doing another one. Um, you know, in Hollywood, it's really tough to kill franchises once they exist. So I would not be surprised. But the Fantastic Beasts franchise was envisioned as a trilogy, and this would be the third. So oh, okay. Yeah, so we'll see. We'll see if they do any more. So you
1: could make an even bigger call and say this will be this will this movie will mark the end of Harry Potter. But I
0: don't think it will. I don't think you, you could don't? ever. No, I don't. I mean. The, Harry Potter is such a big phenomenon that it's almost like financially, um, it's it's for do, if you have if you are a fiduciary of this company, <laughs> it would be a breach of your fiduciary duty to kill the franchise. Like you just have to keep it going somehow, and some writer will get assigned, and some writer will they'll say figure out how to do this. Um, they'll get J.K. Rowling on board because she has to approve everything on these things, and they'll keep it going. It will be interesting when
1: I'm like fifty years old. If if my children will be getting introduced to Harry Potter's and Star Wars remakes still then in like Dom Toretto's kid in Fast and Furious now has a franchise. Totally. And if it'll just the everything that we'll be watching is just like 70-year-old franchises that they won't let die.
0: Are you is that a question? Are you questioning whether that's gonna happen? Because it will absolutely happen. I mean, there they will never, ever let these franchises die. You have to really, really beat it. And then if you beat it to death, you just reboot it in 10 years. Yeah, you just wait. You pause. Like, Star Wars kind
1: of waited for a well, while. Well,
0: Star Wars is a whole separate story. That was an ownership issue, and George Lucas didn't want to do anything, and then he sold to Disney, and then they made movies, and they kind of ran it into the ground. Now they have to figure out how to revive Star Wars as a film franchise while the streaming stuff is just going nuts on the on the nostalgia. But, you know, we'll see how far Fantastic Beasts and Harry Potter can go, and I, I just would not count out any franchise. All right. Thank you to producer Craig. Thank you to Jim Rutenberg. And thank you to you. We will see you next week. This episode is brought to you by State Farm